Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The death toll from Hurricane Ian in Florida is at 13 and climbing, while more than two and a half million are without power. President Biden says he's focused on saving people's lives and homes. We also provide updates on the FBI's activities in the special master and January 6th cases, including alleged violations and disclosures. The Senate passes a short-term funding bill, along with tens of billions in new emergency spending. Some Republican senators are pushing back. Russell Brand posted a video criticizing YouTube for its censorship. The actor says he'll now put Rumble first when uploading his content. And NATO formally labels the mysterious leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines an act of sabotage without directly blaming Russia. Meanwhile, Moscow implies that the U.S. is responsible. More than two and a half million people in Florida are left without power in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. It's now over the Atlantic again after it downgraded to a tropical storm as it passed over the state. Hurricane Ian weakened into a tropical storm Thursday morning after making landfall near Fort Myers, Florida Wednesday afternoon. The storm caused widespread damage and flooding in Florida. The amount of water that's been rising and will likely continue to rise today even as the storm is passing uh, is basically a 500-year flood event. The storm left two and a half million Florida customers without power Thursday morning. It also destroyed a section of the Sanibel Causeway, connecting several islands with mainland Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis on Thursday visited a city close to where Ian made landfall, and he said workers are now trying to restore power and telecommunication services. Uh, we also got to just stabilize the area with these key services, and so we've got a huge amount of resources uh, that have been brought to bear to be able to do that, and we're going to continue doing it. This is going to be a 24-7 operation because we realize how important it is. Tampa International Airport will reopen Friday morning. The eye of the storm left Florida's east coast Thursday around noon. It's expected to veer back toward the states and then hit the coast of South Carolina on Friday. Forecasters say it could strengthen into a hurricane again. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And President Biden today addressed the nation about Hurricane Ian. NTD's Iris Tao brings us more from FEMA headquarters. Addressing the nation from FEMA headquarters here in Washington, D.C., President Biden says Hurricane Ian could be the deadliest in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. At least 13 people have been reported dead as of Thursday afternoon. And Biden says rescue operations have gotten underway for people who are stranded. And early on Thursday, he also approved a major disaster declaration in Florida. That means the federal government would pay for all debris removal, as well as offer loans to cover uninsured property loss and home repairs. The federal government will provide individual assistance of 37000 $900 for home repairs, another $37,900 for lost property, for everything from the automobile to a lost wedding ring. On Thursday morning, Biden also spoke with Florida's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, who is a harsh critic of Biden's economic and immigration policies. But when asked about his call and his relationship with DeSantis, Biden says... It's totally irrelevant, but I'll answer it, okay? 
In fact, very fine. He complimented me. He thanked me for the immediate response we had. This is not about whether or anything having to do with our disagreements politically. This is about saving people's lives, homes, and businesses. The FEMA administrator, meanwhile, says she's going down to Florida this week to check on response efforts. And President Biden says he's going as well, but they'll come at a time when his presence won't get in the way. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And over to FBI investigations. Lawyers for former President Trump said in a court filing yesterday that the FBI's filter team failed for the third time. The lawyers claim the filter team allowed a privileged Trump email to get into the wrong hands. Meanwhile, the FBI has its hands full with the January 6th investigation. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. A privileged document contained in the seized Mar-a-Lago materials may have slipped through the cracks again. That's according to a recent filing submitted by the Trump team on Wednesday. The team claims investigators saw an email that may be privileged. They say this is the third time the government failed to prevent investigators from seeing privileged records. According to the filing, the government characterized the email as non-privileged. And in more legal filings, Judge Eileen Cannon signed an order Thursday that sides with Trump. She agreed that Trump doesn't have to certify the accuracy of the government's property list. Trump's team had claimed the special master didn't have the authority to require the affidavit. Special Master Judge Raymond Deary now has until December 16, according to the new order. And there are new developments in the FBI's January 6 investigation. The New York Post reports 30 former FBI agents are defending suspended whistleblower Steve Friend. Friend alleged political bias at the Bureau over its handling of the January 6 Capitol breach probe. The whistleblower made several accusations, including being named as a case agent on January 6 investigations that he was not involved in, and that the FBI used excessive force in arresting suspects accused of misdemeanor offenses. The report states that Friends' supporters include a retired FBI deputy assistant director and five former SWAT team members. In the case against the Oath Keepers, the judge says he won't disqualify jurors who have an opinion about the Capitol breach. District Court Judge Amit Mehta said it's normal to have views about January 6 and that as long as they can put aside their previous knowledge and show no emotional reaction, they can serve as jurors. Jury selection is expected to continue through Friday. And earlier this week, a defense attorney said in a court filing the government paid five informants to infiltrate the Oath Keepers, a group accused of conspiracy to breach the Capitol. And the government recently disclosed the informants did not provide evidence against the Oath Keepers. The government says only one informant will testify at trial. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And conservative activist Virginia Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, appeared before an, for an interview before the January 6th committee this afternoon. The committee is probing into her role and actions after the 2020 presidential election. They spoke for more than four hours. After the interview, the committee chairman said that Thomas told the panel she still believes the election was stolen. Thomas declined to answer any questions from the press. And the Senate this afternoon passed a short-term funding bill to keep government agencies open through mid-December. However, not everyone was on board. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with the details. 
This temporary funding bill essentially allows government agencies to operate under current funding levels through December 16th. This allows lawmakers to return back to their home states to campaign ahead of the 2023 midterm elections. Now included in this temporary funding bill is tens of billions of dollars more in emergency money. That includes $12 billion more for Ukraine, along with another $1 billion to help American families cope with rising heating and cooling costs. Another $19 billion is designated to FEMA to help with disaster relief, such as helping to clean up um, after damage was caused by Hurricane Ian. Here are Senate Leader Chuck Schumer's floor remarks on the Senate floor just moments after that bill passed earlier today. It is a great bipartisan bill that is going to help a whole lot of people, and we're keeping the government open with ample time. Now, even though this bill did garner some Republican support, about half of Senate Republicans, 25 of them, voted no on it. For weeks now, um, many Republicans, such as Senator Rick Scott, Senator Mike Lee, and others, were pushing for a no vote on this because they wanted to make sure there was no extra spending attached to this bill. They also wanted to extend the clock here. So their goal was to uh, provide a temporary funding bill that would expire in January rather than December. This way, they could wait until a new Congress is sworn in before passing the full 2023 funding bill. Under these circumstances, if Republicans were to take more seats in Congress, that would give Republicans more control over 2023 spending levels. So that was their goal here, although that was not successful, obviously, in the Senate. Now, for the same reason, Republican Whip Steve Scalise in the House is right now whipping a no vote on this temporary funding bill. Um, but even with Republican pushback, Democrats are in control of the House, so they will easily pass this tomorrow and send it off to President Biden's desk. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. Six states are suing President Biden and the Education Secretary for their plan to cancel federal student debt. At the same time, the Biden administration is scaling back eligibility for the plan. The six states are Arkansas, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, South Carolina, and Iowa. These states say the plan to cancel student debt is an unlawful and arbitrary action. They, they said in a statement that the plan will, quote, unfairly burden working-class families and those who chose not to take out loans or have paid them off with even more economic woes. On the same day, the Education Department changed its guidance and scaled back eligibility for the plan. Now, if someone has student loans held by private lenders, they have to be consolidated before September 29th to be eligible for the debt relief. An administration official says the change will impact around 770,000 people. And an update on a story we reported on last week. Fintech giant PayPal has reinstated three related accounts they had shut down, that of the Free Speech Union, the Daily Skeptic, and a key figure behind both organizations. Toby Young is the outlet's editor-in-chief and the union's founder and general secretary. And he says that while he's still waiting for PayPal to explain the reason behind the shutdowns, that it should be illegal for financial services companies to discriminate against customers based on their political beliefs. I spoke with him earlier today. Toby Young, welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. This week, PayPal reinstated your account and the accounts of the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union. What did it take to get the accounts opened again? 
Well, it took um, a gargantuan effort on my part. Um, certainly appealing the decision to close all three accounts to PayPal had no effect at all. Complaining about it to PayPal had no effect. I wrote to the CEO of PayPal UK. He didn't reply. I contacted the corporate affairs departments uh, in the US and the UK of PayPal. No response. Um, but it was only when a question was asked in Parliament when the decision was more or less universally condemned across the British media, and then 42 peers and MPs from all political parties wrote to the business secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg, demanding that he hold PayPal to account. And then he confirmed that he would be doing precisely that. That was enough in the end to persuade PayPal to switch my accounts back on. Nothing short of that worked. And while PayPal has since apologized, why do you think your accounts were initially targeted and shut down? Well, I can only speculate because PayPal still haven't really provided an explanation. They initially said it, it was because on the Daily Skeptic website we were promoting hate, violence and racial intolerance, which is obviously complete nonsense. And then they said they followed up uh, with a different reason, which is that the Daily Skeptic account, they said, was um, spreading COVID-19 vaccine disinformation, no, misinformation. And as we know, uh, COVID vaccine misinformation is often a euphemism for just anyone who raises any reservations about the COVID-19 vaccine. So it might have been that. Who knows? Uh, they kept changing the reason. And when they eventually restored the accounts, they maintained that it had only been, they'd only ever been under review. And they'd now decided that we'd passed this review. And so they were switching them back on. It was, I think they clearly just didn't like my politics, um, weren't fans of the Free Speech Union or the Daily Skeptic. Um, and only when they were asked why they'd done it, did they come up with a succession of spurious reasons, which they eventually abandoned. You've likened consumer brands deplatforming people to China's social credit system. Could you elaborate on that? Yes, well, um, I think uh, we're all aware of China's um, social credit system, whereby if you criticize the communist authorities, you risk losing access to your bank account. Um, and uh, that's now beginning to happen in the West. Um, so PayPal deplatforming groups and individuals whose perfectly lawful views the company disapproves of, I think is an example of something like the Chinese style social credit system being introduced in the West, except instead of ideological conformity being enforced by the Communist Party, it's being enforced by woke corporations in California. But it's a very sinister development and we need to uh, nip it in the bud. And what do you think this incident says about the state of free speech in the West? I think it, uh, it's an alarming new battlefront in the war, the ongoing assault on free speech. Um, I set up the Free Speech Union more than two and a half years ago, and I thought things had um, reached a nadir uh, when it came to uh, free speech. But actually, since then, things have got significantly worse. And I think um, demonetizing people, using the financial services sector as a way to shut down dissent and skepticism about things like the vaccines, the COVID lockdown policy, uh, climate emergency, and so forth. That's a new sinister development in the war on free speech, and we need to do something about it quickly. You're now lobbying for a couple of bills being proposed in the UK Parliament. Could you tell us more about that? 
Well, there are a few. What we want to do is amend a bill that's currently going through Parliament to make it unlawful for financial services companies to discriminate against their customers on the basis of their perfectly lawful political opinions. Um, and we're looking at which is the right bill to amend, and we're drafting an amendment, and we hope to have one ready uh, to send to parliamentarians next week. And I think there'll be quite a lot of support for that amendment in Parliament, particularly within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. And I'm hoping the government will simply accept the amendment without there needing to be a vote about it in the House of Commons. Uh, there seems to be you know, real momentum now um, behind uh, this effort and um, real political support for reining in these out-of-control companies like PayPal. Toby Young, General Secretary of the Free Speech Union, thank you so much. Thank you. I reached out to PayPal for their response, but I didn't hear back before airtime. And actor Russell Brand says he'll start uploading his videos to Rumble first due to what he calls censorship on YouTube. That's after the platform allegedly took down one of his videos because of what Brand calls a small error. We have been officially censored by YouTube. They took down one of our videos for misinformation. But why are big media organizations not censored for misinformation in the same way? Is it because YouTube are part of the mainstream media now? 47-year-old actor Russell Brand shared this announcement, talking about a video that was allegedly taken down by YouTube. He says a clip he previously posted on the site was removed because he cited COVID information from official government websites, which he misinterpreted. He acknowledged that he had made a mistake. We made an error, in my opinion, a relatively small error, and we're being penalized. For me, that looks like censorship. And the reason I think it looks like censorship is because there's mainstream media misinformation up all the time. Brand then shows various MSNBC clips from last year that include statements like this one. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. The actor points out how, according to current government information, this isn't true. So it could be considered misinformation. However, the video from March 2021 is still on YouTube. NTD reached out to Google, which owns YouTube, to ask whether they think this video should be removed, but we didn't hear back before broadcast. Brand says he'll now prioritize a different platform. We're moving to Rumble. All of our content is up on Rumble first and we'll be streaming on Rumble every day. We know that Rumble has a reputation in some quarters for having certain particular biases, biases that we are beyond. The actor said it's not about left versus right, but about getting his message to the people. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. The Pentagon has unveiled another arms package for Ukraine's combat with Russia. The cost is $1.1 billion. Officials in the U.S. say the package includes launcher systems, munitions, and various drone and radar systems. The weapons will be produced by the industry rather than pulled from U.S. weapons stockpiles. This latest package brings the total amount of U.S. assistance to $16.2 billion since Russia invaded Ukraine in February. And Russian President Vladimir Putin is set to sign documents tomorrow proclaiming Russia's annexation of four Ukrainian regions. Putin's annexation ceremony will be held in one of the Kremlin's grandest halls with the pro-Russian leaders of Kherson, Zaporizhia, Donetsk and Luhansk. 
The Kremlin said that during the ceremony, agreements on the accession of new territories into the Russian Federation will be signed by the four figures. Putin is expected to deliver a major speech on the subject. Russia says the move will lead to the formal annexation of 15 percent of Ukraine's territory. Kyiv said it will be met with a robust response and has killed off chances of reviving peace talks. Washington and the European Union are imposing additional sanctions on Russia over the annexation plan. Even some of Russia's close traditional allies, such as Serbia and Kazakhstan, say they will not recognize the move. And the world still doesn't know who to blame for the attacks on the pipelines that carry Russian gas to Europe. Sweden says it has discovered a fourth leak as the EU and Russia continue to investigate. NATO issued a press release today formally labeling the leaks as the result of sabotage without directly blaming Russia. Meanwhile, Moscow said the leaks couldn't have happened without the involvement of a state actor, indirectly pointing the finger at the U.S. The Kremlin said on Thursday, leaks spewing gas into the sea from pipelines under the Baltic Sea appeared to be the result of state-sponsored terrorism. And Russia's foreign ministry added that the leaks off the coasts of Denmark and Sweden occurred in territory that is fully under the control of the U.S. intelligence agencies. Meanwhile, Sweden's Coast Guard released a new video of the leaks from the Nord Stream pipelines, which runs from Russia to Germany. The Coast Guard said it had discovered a fourth leak on the damaged pipelines. Both the European Union and Russia say they are investigating the cause. Western countries have called the incidents sabotage, while stopping short of openly ascribing blame. Before the leaks were reported, explosions were recorded by seismologists. It remains unclear who might be behind any deliberate attack on the pipelines that Russia and European partners spent billions of dollars building. Coming up, the founders of a new virtual healthcare company say it'll allow doctors to practice medicine with less governmental interference. We'll hear from one of the doctors on the medical board. And in baseball news, Aaron Judge ties the AL records with his 61st home run, 12 shy of the MLB record. Some say Judge should be the champion of the MLB too. NTD's Dave Martin explains that and more coming up. During the pandemic, many doctors were censored and even fired for recommending alternative ways to prevent and treat COVID-19. NTD's Jason Perry spoke with Dr. Harvey Risch about a newly launched virtual health company. Risch says it may give doctors more freedom. Telemedicine isn't all that new. It actually became much more popular during COVID when people were trapped at home. Dr. Harvey Risch is the chief epidemiologist of the Wellness Company's chief medical board. The Wellness Company is a new virtual care and health education company specializing in individualized health care. Risch explained that one of the main reasons the wellness company was formed was in response to government and regulatory overreach. He used hydroxychloroquine as an example. You could prescribe it for hair loss. You could prescribe it for rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and so on, where it's used routinely day in, day out. It's been used by hundreds of millions of people and billions of doses for more than half a century. And suddenly it becomes, you know, uh, unallowable 
as as a, it's an approved drug, FDA approved it. It's been approved for decades. So this interference in the medical practice just snowballed. He said this led to him and others putting together the new company. To formulate a method of providing medical care where doctors could just be doctors, you know, the way doctors used to be, using their best judgments. Even if it wasn't perfect, they, they did their best from their experience. And if it didn't work, they learned and they figured out how to improve. And that's how medical care has always been, to let doctors just use their best judgments, independent of this heavy hand of government and corporate medicine. He explained that patients will be able to connect with doctors throughout the entire state where they are seeking care via a video call. He says an in-person interview with a doctor for acute care is about $50, and patients can file the receipts with their medical insurance. For more information, you can visit online at twc.health. Jason Perry, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Aaron Judge, his 61st home run of the season last night, tying the American League record set by Roger Maris back in 1961. That stood as a major league record until it was passed by Mark McGuire in 1998. Barry Bonds would eventually pass him three years later, hitting 73. Yet allegations of steroid use have followed both players, keeping them from the Hall of Fame. Baseball didn't start drug testing with penalties until 2004. Maris's son, Roger Maris Jr., said he considers McGuire's and Bond's home run totals to be illegitimate and that if Judge passes the record, he should be considered the champion. The Yankees' next game is at home Friday against the Orioles. In college football, University of Nebraska punter Brian Bushini apologized Tuesday after posting a tweet in support of Italy's new Prime Minister, Georgia Maloney. According to a screenshot from Outkick.com, Bushini had originally tweeted, All glory to God, love this, on a speech from Maloney's from 2019 that went viral. In this speech, Maloney, part of the Brothers of Italy Conservative Party, promoted family values and said she wanted Italians to return to religious and traditional morals. And tonight in baseball, six games are on the schedule, including an Angels athletics game with two-way star Shohei Otani on the mound. The reigning MVP is fourth in the AL with 14 wins, and offensively, his 34 home runs are good for fourth in the league. And in college football tonight, South Carolina takes on South Carolina State while 19th ranked BYU battles Utah State. In the pros, the undefeated Miami Dolphins will play at the Cincinnati Bengals on Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.